for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Pervoye Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, great first hour with Michael Mahari of 10thAmendmentCenter.com and ShiftGold.com. If you missed it, you can always check the archive. Those are posted quickly. And we got Ron Unz coming off of Unz.com. I've been chatting with him for a couple of years, first on the COVID uh, biological warfare stuff. Uh, I think last time we chatted on multipolarity and geopolitics, and I want to get his thoughts this time on all the Israel-Palestine stuff what's happening in the world uh, south american gangs target dozens of mansions in detroit violent crime is spreading to suburbia new report shows gangs from south america have targeted mansions in wealthy neighborhoods across the detroit metro area this comes as the biden administration's disastrous open border policies have flooded the country with millions of illegal migrants as well as progressive cities failing to enforce common sense law and order uh, wxyz detroit reported at least 30 to 40 homes in upscale neighborhoods across detroit have been targeted by highly functional and well-trained gangs from south america this fall i uh, had someone comments ah they're blowing things out of proportion uh, i don't know you know i had a former guest to notify me that uh, his mexican friend uh in the u.s um was almost kidnapped by another mexican uh, immigrant. Uh, so, you know, what's happening now in Mexico is happening between uh, immigrants within the United States. And uh, just for those people listening who don't know that I'm a Mexican, I'm a Mexican, so I can talk about this stuff. I'm, I'm a Mexican citizen, so you can't call me racist. <laughs> just, just putting that out there. Um, and, you know, I've had a, people like Hernando Arce uh, on the program recently who's covering the, the border. Uh, he's there on the ground at the border documenting how you know, people are just flooding in and so I, I i do think this story sounds legit um turning towards the new european the new european soviet for a moment the fourth reich as i like to call it or euroslavia eu you have uh in germany the afd political party um there which is trying they're trying to ban it so basically the christian democratic union uh one politician who lost uh to the afd in his local elections is on a one-man mission to ban the party but is struggling to gather the required signatures from fellow mps however after a court ruling in february next year efforts to ban the party may pick up steam so th that's how democracy in europe works today that that's that's eu democracy for you ban the political populist party if they are winning so just just ban 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 in the eu the, the all they do is just ban 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 absolute insanity uh also um you got uh, donald tusk has regained the, the the position of prime minister of poland um again after a, a decade uh after his departure uh and hey isn't that authoritarian to, to have the same politicians running for you know so long like they do in russia and in china and elsewhere so that's going on meet the new boss same as the old and this is a fascinating story reported uh by el país spain expels two u.s spies for infiltrating secret service what are you know what are allies for <laughs> what are friends for the discovery that two agents from spain's cni intelligence service were bribed 
by the U.S. to provide classified information to the United States has led to an unprecedented situation between Madrid and Washington. Spanish Minister of Defense, whoever CCNI, summoned the U.S. ambassador to Spain uh, to her office to explain what happened. Such actions are considered hostile and are not expected between two uh, allies at least two U.S. agents stationed at the U.S. Embassy in Madrid who were directly involved in recruiting the CNI spies have been discreetly expelled from Spain. And yes, usually it's the U.S. embassies. I know when I go to a foreign U.S. embassy to do, you know, paperwork or renew my passport, it's usually, you know, like on the second floor or somewhere in the U.S. embassy is the spy section who who carry out, um, you know, regime change operations or, or, or stuff like that. That's pretty crazy. Uh, Lavrov uh, again coming out. I think uh, recently over the weekend, I gave a speech. Uh, says the, the 500 year long dominance of the West is coming to an end, being replaced by a new polycentric world. Said Lavrov in a video addressed to the Doha Forum. Um, what else we got? Medvedev. I don't have time to list it here, but he gave a colorful tweet uh, the other day, uh, also uh, in this sort of regard, discussing the decline of American. Empire, you've got Russia's top spy, uh, Sergei Narishkin, talking about how the West wants to replace Zelensky. So we're hearing more about this, and but there's really no one good to replace him with is, is one of the problems. Also reports that Yemeni armed forces hit Israel's uh, Israel deep inside Israelis deep inside occupied Palestine. Yemen's uh, on Ansarullah movement says it has hit targets deep inside the Israeli-occupied Palestine as part of its operations to support the people of Gaza. Poland to spend $284 million on base improvements for U.S. troops. Not good. Escalation there. Defense News reports uh, hypersonic threats are slow enough for U.S. missile defenses. Who's telling the truth here? Moscow or uh, Washington? Uh, also, the number of attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria pushes past 80. That was reported over the weekend. A lot of cyber polygon news. Sri Lanka in blackout as power grid hit by cascading failure. Um, also, China's cyber army is invading critical U.S. services being reported today. That's the boogeyman they need to uh, carry out the cyber polygon. Uh, also, Fox reports major grid operator warns legal agreement to shutter coal plant will devastate electric reliability. Uh, so they're really laying the groundwork soon next year. Expect Cyber Polygon. Get some uh, solar panels, backup systems. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to pull that one. Uh, all right, real quick. There are many ways you can listen to TNT Radio. Uh, you can stream us direct from the website, tntradio.live, you know, using your desktop, laptop, tablet, or mobile. You can also download the, the app. Uh, for your surveillance device, your smartphone, through the app stores. We're also streaming live now in living color video on Pentagon Tube, YouTube, uh, Rumble, and Odyssey, uh, as well as on uh, X, Twitter. We've got you covered on TNT Radio. The latest headlines waiting for you. I follow the news pretty much throughout the day. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. A human rights group alleges that Emirati authorities charged 87 people, including some of the country's highest profile political prisoners, with terrorism as the COP28 climate talks were underway. Here with the story, joining me once again, TNT radio news producer, Adam Clark, codename Ruckus. 
Thanks, Rory. Uh, yeah, they did this kind of sneakily undercover of all of the hubba blue surrounding the the climate thing. Um, according this, so this is uh, this this group, the human rights group, um, is called the Emirates Detainees Advocacy Center, the EDAC. <laughs> and according to them, uh, they report that those charged include members of the UAE 94, uh, such as human rights lawyer Mohammed al Rokin, uh, who were convicted in the UAE's largest ever mass trial in 200 and, I mean, sorry, 2013, the year 2013. Uh, also freshly charged, according to EDAC, are rights activist, blogger, and poet Ahmed. Mansour and economist and human rights defender Nasser bin Gaith, many embroiled in the new mass trial, which began with a hearing on December 7th, have remained imprisoned despite completing their sentences earlier this year. But there are also newly detained individuals, including Kalaf, Kalaf al Ramethi, the Emirati businessman who vanished from Jordan, where he was arrested on a warrant while traveling this May, only to surface a week later in the UAE. Hamad al-Shamzi, EDAC's executive director, spoke with the outlet Middle East Eye and said he believes the new trial reflects the pressure that Emirati authorities came under to justify why many of the men were still, still in jail. Sorry, Shamsi says, uh, referring to the climate summit that kicked off on November 30th, quote, COP28 was going on and people were asking. So instead of saying we are keeping them in prison, they said there are actually new charges against them, end quote. But the new trial carries much harsher potential sentences. Most of the individuals who were already imprisoned were carrying out sentences of 10 years, but could now face life sentences or even the death penalty. Uh, Middle East Eye, the outlet, reached out to the Emirati authorities for comment, did not get a response. Uh, Shamsi said the families of the UAE 94 detainees, over 60 in total, have lost all contact with their relatives since June. But before they disappeared, he said, there was a sense that something was about to shift. Some detainees asked their families if they if they had had if they had new charges, while others suggested they might be released. He said, quote, it was mixed messages between positive and negative. We really weren't sure. And quote. Then when the new charges came as tens of thousands of delegates from around the world converged on the UAE for COP28, Shamsi said he was surprised authorities had not waited until the conference was over. And he was certainly disappointed by the new trial. He said, quote, we hoped that the UAE would close this chapter because for more than 12 years now, people are in detention and they are suffering for nothing. End quote. James Lynch, the co-director of the UK based research and advocacy group Fair Square, was at COP22, uh, COP. COP28 last week, and he said the news and its timing, quote unquote, beggars belief. He said, quote, it was already an absurdity that not a single Emirati critical of the government could attend the talks. The decision to lay new terrorism charges on this scale in the middle of the talks when UAE is under the global spotlight is a giant slap in the face to the country's human rights community and the COP process, end quote. So there we go. 
much lost in some translations there. Sorry about that, folks. But yeah, I think you get the idea. Very interesting. What do you think, Herbori? Yeah, th this was news to me. I like this line where it says COP28 was going on and people were asking, instead of saying we're keeping them in prison, they said there are actually new charges uh, against them. So, you know, I, I guess, you know, Saudi Arabia and UAE can do do what they like you know it's uh, they got the money they got the prestige they got uh, they're they're at the center of multipolar world developments so what's anyone going to do to them right whatever happened you know the, the whole hashogi uh, guy that was killed i think in the embassy there are no consequences uh i i kind of think you you know i'm more cyanide pilled i sort of see this trend you know, not slowing down, increasing, uh, even in the West. I, I see the West jumping on this trend, um, unfortunately. You know, I, I hope I had my guest last hour, Mike Mahari of 10th Amendment Center.com. I, I hope he's right. I hope enough people can push back. But um, just looking at the trajectory that we're on, I just kind of see, you know, I, I think we'll be seeing more people being thrown in prison on trumped up charges. Uh, you know, Julian Assange is the canary in, in the coal mine. Uh, and so, I don't know, uh, Ruckus, but, you know, in, in that part of the world, this is uh, this has been the usual for quite a while. Your further thoughts? Well, you know, it appears, I mean, like a lot of these normally kind of chill and laid back and, you know, free societies, as it were, have been getting quite tyrannical since the pandemic. And just equally so, the already tyrannical governments have just gotten even more tyrannical. And I think we're just at that. I mean, we're, we're, we're at, we hit that hump in the, the roller coaster ride and we're we're already over the top part. Now we're just enjoying this big, long, accelerating ride down. Um, and I think it's being uh, shown to us with stories like this, if you understand what I'm putting down there. But yeah, it's not it's not good. Things are getting more evil by the day. I would totally agree. And, you know, it reminds, reminds me of my time living in Kazakhstan. You know, I'm, I, I love the country, the, the people. I, I, I don't know if I'd go back. Uh, to visit, definitely. To live, I'm not sure, given the times that we're uh, living in with the re recurring vaccine passport requirements and digital IDs. But that was, you know, it was a very light version of UAE. Um, you could get more easily in trouble with the government than you might in the West, at least for now. Uh, and you kind of had to walk on eggshells uh, somewhat. You know, there was a religious persecution um that i had uh, learned of there was um you know stuff like that you know cop authorities would visit your apartment you know if you move there to, to make sure you're, you're you're living where you say you're living there would be throttling of the internet and so you know it kind of sucks living in that kind of society where you got to wonder did i could have commit a thought crime tomorrow they're going to be knocking on my door what, what what's going on and um, being thrown in prison for the length of time that these people are being thrown in, in, in prison. Uh, I guess we don't have it so bad in America or in the Americas, should I say, uh, yet, do we, Ruckus? No, not yet, but uh, it sure seems like it's coming soon to a country near you, as it were. <laughs> J just don't talk about J6, the weather. You can't even talk about the weather <laughs> anymore, right? Climate change. Uh, don't talk about health. So you can't talk about health. The weather, you can't talk about elections, J6. Uh, don't talk about the war in Ukraine. 
or the war in Israel. The list just keeps getting longer, <laughs> doesn't it? Isn't it, uh, Ruckus? This, this uh, is what we can only we can only talk about Taylor Swift and sports from this point on. Okay, Herbori. Even sports, some some issues there. Was it the, the Redskins thing? Was they were talking? You know, it's just. Just don't talk at all. That that's where we're gonna end up. We're just gonna make Uga. I, I was at the um book fair here in Guadalajara not long ago and they had a board game called Uga Booga, where you had to play using caveman uh terminology. You couldn't use words. I think that's where we're gonna uh, we're gonna end up. Uh all right, talk to you uh tomorrow, Ruckus. We got Ron Uns of uns.com uh come re returning to the program phone lines are open we'll be right back tnt radio's patrick henningson there's a dark cloud which is gathering over ukraine this has been an absolute disaster in the last month alone as it reported previously ukraine's lost 13,000 troops in october so what does that mean well you can guess that recruitment is probably down so right now the government in kiev the zelensky government's doing forced conscription morale is at an all-time low uh we've also seen conscientious objectors uh, who are taking to social media like Telegram who have reported uh, that they were just finished a six-month prison sentence uh, after refusing to go to the front line. Some of the forced conscripts rebelled, were imprisoned for six months, did a six-month sentence, and then the day before their release, they were put into a van and then sent to the front line. I kid you not. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not far-right, just right so far thelightpaper.co.uk Today's News Talk Radio Come on, let the man talk We never censor our hosts Good, now talk Uncensored News Today's News Talk Radio TNT Returning to the rebel transmission is Ron Uns, American technology entrepreneur, political activist, writer, publisher, former businessman, founder of uns.com unz.com Welcome back to TNT, Ron Hey, great to be here how are, how are things over at uns.com? Oh, fine, fine. <laughs> obviously, it's an exciting time in the world right now, though, in a very unfortunate sort of way. Yeah, over over the past couple of years, you know, you and I, we talked about first about COVID and, and biowarfare. I think last time I had you on, we talked to get your thoughts on multipolarity uh, and the shifting global sands and, and, and chessboard. Uh, and now, you know, you've been writing a lot. Of course, the, the, the big topic is what's going on in uh, Israel. Palestine, the Israel-Hamas war, um, and I'd sort of like to get your take on a number of things um, going on there. Uh, but you know, first to, to start, what, what sort of your big picture view as to what's uh, been going on since October? Well, it's obviously a very unfortunate situation. I mean, the Middle East had been surprisingly quiet, really, for almost twenty years, but certainly ten years. And, you know, I, I think the sudden Hamas attack, the raid out of Gaza, was completely unexpected, certainly by most people in the West and obviously the Israelis as well, since they were caught by surprise. I mean, you know, it's one thing for a raid of a dozen or two dozen militants, but I mean, 1,500 of them 
breaking through the barriers and uh, you know I mean Israel probably lost more men in that one 24-hour period than in all the last 50 years of wars combined which is really quite remarkable yeah and, and you know there have been you know that's why I have people like yourself on their competing views uh trying to explain what's been going on and it's hard to figure out what, what what's going on anymore in in one of your uh, articles at uns.com you discussed this myth of Israeli in, uh invincibility and you know I do have to admit I've fallen for that for years you know to think that the iron dome success rate is is very high but then you know I, I think even MIT expert um Theodore Postal, I think, uh, says it can be as low as even five, ten percent sometimes, or, or you know, if, if too many rockets are fired in, it just overwhelms the system. But you know, this idea that uh, IDF is like GI Joe, uh, but there are also talks that maybe some in the Israeli government or military stood down to allow this to happen. But what are your thoughts on on that and this idea of Israeli IDF invincibility? Well, I'm very skeptical of some of these sort of conspiratorial scenarios that argue that, you know, Netanyahu or his government deliberately allowed the attack to take place. I mean, the whole thing is, it's really been an utter disaster for Israel's credibility. I mean, the whole thing about it is, you know, it's one thing for the Israeli Mossad, you know, to screw up on some sort of intelligence failure in another part of the world. I mean, they certainly were regarded as one of the world's best intelligence services. And for them to fail to anticipate this gigantic attack by Hamas on their own doorstep. I mean, the, the whole thing is, I mean, Israel basically for the first 12 or 24 hour period, I mean, the Israeli response was so scattered and disorganized. I mean, some of Israel's best military units were destroyed in the field. I mean, you know, with hundreds and hundreds of their soldiers killed. I mean, dozens of their elite military officers were killed in the battle. And, you know, under those circumstances, obviously Netanyahu was under tremendous political pressure by the groups in Israel that were trying to get rid of him. And so some people make the argument that he deliberately allowed this attack to proceed so as to sort of unify the country behind him. But when you look at the poll numbers, supposedly his approval rating right now is down around 5%. In other words, 95% of Israelis are, you know, think he's been a terrible leader, which he has been. And so, you know, the moment the war stops, he's gone. And the moment he leaves power, he'll probably end up in prison for the rest of his life, you know, because of all the corruption charges. So, you know, certainly he's trying to take advantage of the attack to desperately cling to power. But I think it's basically just a very long shot that he can politically survive this. And, you know, for example, some of the reports that have come out, for example, uh, I mean, Netanyahu was very strongly opposed by most of Israelis, Israel's political elite, including some of the top people in Mossad and the other intelligence services. In fact, there were some reports that Mossad was organizing some of the demonstrations against him. So, you know, if there were the slightest hint that Netanyahu deliberately allowed the attack to take place, I think his enemies throughout the intelligence services would use that to destroy him. And so, you know, it would be incredibly difficult to keep that secret. Now, you know, on the other hand, I do think the Israelis had become very overconfident and arrogant over the years. In other words, they were convinced that Hamas was just sort of a ragtag band of militants that in no way had a chance of breaking through, you know, all their 
I mean, I think they spent a billion dollars constructing their defensive system. All these walls and monitors automatically firing machine guns. I mean, they thought that there was no chance, you know, a few militants could break through it. And I mean, the notion of 1,500 of them breaking through the barrier, seizing a lot of the garrisons, the Israeli military garrisons nearby, killing their troops in the field and returning to Gaza with 240 hostages would just be totally unthinkable. And so, you know, I, I think basically the Israelis were caught napping, just like they were almost 50 years before to the day in the Yom Kippur War. Exactly the same thing happened. In other words, there had been various reports that the Egyptians might be planning to attack, but the Israeli government had dismissed it as just ridiculous. In other words, nobody had a chance of piercing the Israeli defenses. And the Egyptians attacked and were very successful for the first few days. In other words, Israel really had a chance of being defeated and destroyed at that point. So I think it's basically just the same sort of arrogance this time that they saw 50 years ago. And, you know, your explanation here is perfectly logical. Uh, and, you know, I, this is why what I mentioned before, I don't know what's going on, but I can I can see both uh, scenarios. But, you know, I can't argue with what you said. It makes perfect sense, especially with uh, this division between uh, Netanyahu uh, and, and, you know, other factions within the government. It would be difficult to carry uh, that out. It's, it's uh, time for our headlines. We'll be right back, Ron. Dude, I have huge news. I knew it. TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Former President Trump is now over the 50% mark in Iowa, per the latest Des Moines Register NBC News Mediacom Iowa poll. In an effort to reduce methane emissions from cattle, the Canadian government has introduced a new economic incentive program targeting beef cattle farmers. This initiative was announced on December 10th as part of the ongoing efforts at COP28, the Global Climate Conference in Dubai. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda. It never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. We're talking to Ron Uns of uns.com. You can also, you can subscribe to the email list, uh, find um, find him on Twitter X and talking about Hamas. Do you think Hamas acted solo or had support from Iran? Or, you know, my fear is that even if they didn't have support from Iran, that there's this perception that they did and that some of the neocons in Washington, London and Brussels might want to use this um, as a pretext to to start war with uh, Iran. Uh, any thoughts on that or the potential for us to um, fall into a wider uh, expanded war? Oh, it's certainly a very dangerous situation. I mean, you know, the, the fact, I mean, right now, for example, I mean, the Israelis are basically committing the largest televised massacre of innocent civilians in the history of the world. I mean, probably, probably well over 20,000 Gazan 
Palestinians have already died. I mean, when you count all the bodies buried under the rubble. And the Israelis are trying to use this opportunity to drive the Gazans out of their enclave and basically gain control of the land, you know, basically expel the Palestinians from Gaza. And then possibly you do the same thing to the Palestinians of the West Bank. So, I mean, it's a really dreadful situation. And I mean, it shows the tremendous cowardice and corruption of all the Western governments, especially America's government, there's allowing this to go forward. I mean, it's obviously, I mean, it's the worst sort of massacre of the worst sort of war crimes. I mean, anybody can imagine. I mean, probably, it probably looks like 95% of all the people killed in Gaza are innocent civilians. I mean, basically, it's unlikely that more than about a thousand militants, a thousand Hamas militants have been killed because, I mean, they're basically in their entrenched tunnels. And instead, the Israelis are basically just bombarding the enclave with hundreds and hundreds, thousands of bombs, high explosives. I mean, they've destroyed probably 70,000, 80,000 buildings in Gaza. I mean, they're basically just devastating a densely populated urban area. And, you know, there's certainly a possibility that what they're doing may end up bringing in Hezbollah from Lebanon. It may end up causing, you know, uh, the Iranian government or possibly even the Turkish government to intervene. I mean, it's certainly putting tremendous pressure on all the regional Arab states and the larger Muslim world. Because, I mean, you know, they can see these scenes on uh, on TV or on social media. In other words, you know, in America, obviously, the electronic media, the broadcast media is censoring most of the images. But, I mean, you know, these are horrifying images. I mean, we're talking about, just to give you an example, you know, in the Ukraine conflict, when a Russian missile might, you know, accident might be targeting a military uh, strike zone and, you know, slightly go astray or 20 civilians might be killed. I mean, that was a story that was on the front pages of all the global media for days and days, sometimes for weeks, you know, 20 civilians killed, 50 civilians killed. Here we're talking about 15 or 20,000 civilians being killed in just a short period of time. And, you know, food, water, medicine being cut off to the others. I mean, all the hospitals being destroyed, all the schools, all the civilian facilities. I mean, these are obviously the most blatant sort of war crimes. And, you know, the whole thing is there's certainly a possibility that it might extend the war to the larger region. And that's a very dangerous situation. But I mean, you know, it, it certainly would be understandable if some of these other regional governments got involved. And, you know, they might be under tremendous pressure from their own publics to get more involved. But I mean, right now, nothing like that has happened so far. Yeah, and I, I have seen the clips, um, you know, there are a few clips that come to mind. There was a Palestinian man, again, just like as you described, seemed innocent father uh, and his home had been blown into bits, rubble. And he was crying as he was looking for, I guess, the bodies of his four um, children. And you're just seeing videos um, like this. and. I think you've also written about it. Get your thoughts on the, the information wars and this, you know, term that's being used now, atrocity, propaganda. And, you know, I don't doubt that there were innocent Israelis um, killed, as as well as you're mentioning Palestinians. But it just seems the number seems to be much higher on the Palestinian uh, end. And, you know, we've got this this um, 40 beheaded babies, uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know, a story being parroted. And uh, when I first heard that, I just couldn't help 
Think back to 1990 with the, the Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter lying uh, at the behest of Washington about Iraqi soldiers killing uh, incubated babies. That turned out to be a complete lie. Uh, and then in this occasion, there, there's no evidence uh, except, you know, just being parroted that somebody saw this, you know. Um, so y your thoughts on uh, the, the information war that's that's going on. And it does seem that in, in the eyes of the world that the Israeli government is um, losing popular popular opinion, no? Well, of course. I mean, they're committing a gigantic massacre of innocent civilians. I mean, it's the worst thing you can imagine in the world right now. And the whole thing about it is there's more and more evidence coming out that many, possibly even most, of the unarmed Israeli civilians killed on the day of the Hamas attack were actually killed by the Israeli military forces. In other words, what happened was the Israelis were so panic-stricken and disorganized they didn't know how to respond. I mean, they're basically, you know, statements from some of the helicopter pilots that they just blasted anything that moved. I mean, there are a hundred Israeli cars which were burned out and destroyed by Hellfire missiles. And I mean, many, many of the Israelis who died were in those cars. And when you take it also, for example, their firsthand testimony of some of the hostages who escaped, that basically most of the Israeli civilians who were killed in their vicinity were killed by the Israeli forces, by tank shells, by helicopter missiles, because basically, you know, the Israelis felt it was very difficult to rescue the hostages. So they were just ordered to blast everyone. Now, there's something called the, the Hannibal Directive which is a very controversial Israeli policy that has been placed for 40 years now, which says that if an Israeli is taken hostage by a Palestinian militant, and if he can't easily be rescued, the official Israeli policy is to kill that hostage. In other words, the Israeli government is tasked to make sure that no Israelis are successfully taken hostage by militants, and if necessary, they have to be killed. And that's exactly what happened during this time period. So, I mean, probably no more than a couple of hundred unarmed Israeli civilians were killed by the Hamas attackers, you know, maybe 200, maybe even as low as 100, with the rest being killed by the Israeli military. Meanwhile, probably 20,000 Palestinians have been killed. So, I mean, we're talking about a hundred to one ratio, which is just, you know, incredibly disproportionate. Now, with regard, the way the Israelis have tried to get around that problem is by using their media access to promote the most ridiculous sort of atrocity propaganda you can imagine. You know, the 40 beheaded babies you mentioned. Now, the official Israeli report is that only one baby was killed in the attack. And actually, that baby was accidentally killed by gunfire from the Israeli forces. So if only one baby was actually killed, one Israeli baby, you know, that proves that the 40 thing is just total nonsense. And, you know, there are lots of other things like the Israelis now have been pushing those ridiculous stories about mass rapes, gang rapes. It's utter nonsense. In fact, Max Blumenthal just did a, just did a very good investigative report on that a couple of days ago, showing that most of those stories are coming out of the most disreputable Israeli fringe organizations you can imagine. It's basically some of these fanatic Zionist settlers. And I mean, they're basically, you know, many of them are basic criminals. I mean, they're basically, they have a long record of criminality. And so, you know, to trust anything they're saying without any evidence being produced is utterly ridiculous. And obviously, these stories are being promoted simply to deflect world attention 
from the fact that so many thousands of innocent Palestinian civilians are being destroyed, are being killed in Gaza, and that many of the top Israeli leaders are using the most genocidal sort of rhetoric you can imagine. I'm talking about identifying the Palestinians with the tribe of Amalek, which according to the Hebrew God has to be exterminated down to the last newborn baby. And so, you know, when you have top Israeli leaders using extremely genocidal language while they're committing one of the largest massacres in modern history, I mean, it's the sort of thing that is a very bad situation. I mean, you know, people around the world are outraged, except in the West, where the broadcast media is so tightly under the control of pro-Israeli forces that most Americans aren't even aware of those facts. Yeah, uh, you know, Max Blumenthal doing great work. I got to hang out with him a couple of months back and um, haven't reached out. Uh, I need to, to get him on the program. But um, as well as what you, you mentioned is uh, regarding the them quoting from the old testament well as as christians uh, see it in myself as a christian and my view right away was okay you know what happened in the old testament i i don't have any qualms with with what happened according to god's directives in the old testament but then in the new it's like you, you're not you're supposed to be loving your enemy right um in today's world you're supposed to be loving your enemy according to what, what christ says and not bombing them re regardless of what uh you know territory uh it is and so i i see no justification uh, for that but you also wrote recently quote the increasing appearance of the term nakba in elite mainstream publications such as the times represents an important ideological victory for the palestinian cause there are now widespread suspicions that the current israeli military attacks in gaza are intended to drive all its palestinians into the sinai desert of egypt and will be followed by attempts to do the same to the palestinians of the west uh bank there's talks of uh, as well importing them to the United States and you know there's been this idea I I did read this 1963 official U.S government assessment about using nukes in Gaza to make way for a Ben-Gurion canal um and you know there was there was some rhetoric coming from Israeli officials about dropping nukes in in Gaza and I know I think you're, you you know you, you said that you don't think that, that that this was not planned but any thoughts um from here on out for the Israeli government to try and expand uh, the, this this greater Israel uh, using this this situation now to to expand to exp expel the Palestinians to take over Gaza uh, and, and West Bank and 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 whatnot. Well, I mean, they're certainly trying to use this opportunity to drive the Palestinians out of Gaza and possibly do the same to the Palestinians of the West Bank. But I mean, Egypt is based, Egypt is very, very unwilling to allow the Palestinians to be pushed into their territory because obviously, you know, the Israelis would never let them back in again. And, you know, the same thing certainly would tr be true with Jordan with regard to the Palestinians of the West Bank. So I think it's, you know, the Israelis might try to push them out, but I think it's very difficult. I mean, what I think will happen is, I mean, a very large number of Palestinians will be killed, will die in what's going on. I mean, you know, again, when the Israelis are preventing food and water from going towards the Palestinians, and, you know, there's even been talk, I think there was one Israeli government minister that was talking about, you know, the possible benefits of disease and plague being used to thin out the Palestinian population. I mean, the Israelis have a large biowarfare program. And, you know, again, given the horrible atrocities they're committing right now with bombs and bullets and missiles, I mean, you know, it's certainly possible that they might try to release, you know, biological weapons or, you know, 
natural biological weapons in the Gaza area to try to, you know, kill as many Gazans as possible. And I mean, this is all with the world watching, with social media, with cameras. And, you know, it makes you realize what the Israelis might be doing if people were not watching. So, you know, it's a very, very difficult situation. It's certainly putting a tremendous amount of pressure on all these other governments in the world, including the American government. I mean, right now, for example, the Biden administration is under a lot of pressure because probably roughly half of Democrats, half of the base of the Biden administration are very much opposed to this massacre going on. And, you know, Biden's going to be running for election less than a year. So, I mean, he's in a difficult position. But I mean, given the strength of the Israeli lobby over the American government, I think it's very unlikely that any of the members of Congress or even the Biden administration will take effective action to try to stop the Israelis from continuing the slaughter. So uh, it's just a horrible situation. All right. It's it's time for our break. I don't want to get your further thoughts uh, on the the. the the direction that we're going, uh, this talk about two-state solution, and then if you got any other thoughts on where we are with uh, Ukraine and, and the rest of the multipolar world, the website is uns.com, unz.com. Feel free to call in. We'll be right back. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week, Elon Musk, the owner of X, was asked about the boycott uh, of advertisers like Disney and Apple who have pulled off the site after he uh, retweeted an anti-Semitic tweet and for some other reasons. And uh, he didn't hold back in his response. Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If, if somebody's gonna try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go fuck yourself. But go fuck yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. And he says that if the boycott forces X to close up shop, the public will know who to blame. What this advertising boycott is uh, is, is going to do, it's, it's going to kill the company. And you think that that... Uh, I, but, and the whole world will know that those advertisers killed the company, and we will document it in great detail. But they're going to say that, they're going to say, Elon, that you killed the company because you said these things and that they were inappropriate things and that they didn't feel comfortable on the platform, right? That's, that's what and, they're and gonna say. And let's see how Earth responds to that. Earth to Elon, only time will tell. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malzberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third generation race car driver. And we dedicate a lot of our time to going as fast as possible. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently, experiencing problems with their memory, or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services, make a plan for the future, and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. You're with Hervoye Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. It is our final segment here with Ron Unz of Unz.com talking Israel-Palestine and maybe your thoughts on, you know, I'm, I'm hearing, you know, Putin and Lavrov and now even Blinken uh, have been talking about a two-state uh, solution. Um, you know, any any thoughts on the future here? Do you think things will just sort of remain as they are 
or the global south uh the countries might push for a two-state solution any any thoughts here well, I mean, there's been talk of a two-state solution and plans for a two-state solution for over 30 years now. I mean, from the Oslo Peace Agreement. I mean, the whole problem is most of the Israelis, certainly the more hardline Israelis who elected Netanyahu, are absolutely opposed to a two-state solution. And I mean, basically, with hundreds of thousands of these fanatic settlers occupying the West Bank and trying to drive out the Palestinians there and attacking them. I mean, the chance of any two-state solution now is much less than it was 10 years ago and vastly less than it was 20 or 30 years ago. I mean, the whole thing is, it's not clear what the eventual outcome of the situation is, but I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of bloodshed. In fact, you know, early on when this massacre in Gaza began, there really was some talk that possibly some of the regional heavyweights, military heavyweights, would get involved. In fact, for example, uh, the president of Turkey, you know, basically spoke before a huge crowd of well over a million, endorsed Hamas's fight for freedom, fight for Palestinian freedom, and said at one point that he thought Turkish troops would eventually be fighting in the streets of Gaza. So, you know, I mean, that's obviously very strong rhetoric, and it shows the tremendously strong emotions on the parts of Turks right now, who aren't even Arabs. I mean, they're not really directly connected with the Palestinians, but they can see the massacre going on and their fellow Muslims. I mean, there are 2 billion Muslims around the world and they're watching these scenes of devastation worldwide. And I mean, it's, it's putting America in a very difficult position. I mean, basically when we were the sole vote at the United Nations Security Council to block a resolution calling for a ceasefire, I mean, that shows the tremendous isolation of the United States. And I mean, it's basically, I mean, what, what America is doing is basically burning its credibility around the world for its unwillingness to stand up to Israel and the Israel lobby in the United States. So, I mean, at some point, I think basically America's power will continue to decline or some flashpoint will occur in the conflict. And at that point, it's really not clear whether Israel will end up surviving. And the problem is, given Israel's, you know, threats to use their nuclear weapons in a desperate situation, I mean, that might certainly cause, you know, a devastating regional cataclysm that could kill a huge number of people. So, I mean, it's a very, very dangerous situation. And certainly everything the Israeli government, by continuing its massacre of the innocent civilians of Gaza, is certainly make things much, much worse. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Flashpoint, you know, just one more story that I was reading. This was from, I think, um, Haaretz uh, the other day, talking talking about Israel's police having authorized far-right Jewish activists to march on the Temple Mount Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem to demand uh, an end to the control uh, by the Islamic endowment, which administers the holy site. The activists were calling to restore full Jewish control over the Temple Mount. Um, and again, you know, there's a great uh, Shin Bet documentary where they explain how in the 1990s, these same types of, types of extremist uh, Israelis tried to blow up the Al-Aqsa in the 90s, which would have started World War III. You know, Muslims from all across the world would have descended. Uh, and just to hear this, you know, talk uh, again today. So, you know, any final thoughts on Israel-Palestine before moving to, um, you know, Ukraine or other regions? Because we're hearing Lavrov and many people now talk about the, the rule, the 500-year rule of the West ending uh you've got maduro in venezuela now 
Um, I think he's smelling the weakness and he's saying, I'm going to annex Guyana, <laughs> even though it's, it's backed by Southcom. Like it, it feels like the, the rest of the world now um, are, are smelling the weakness of the West. Well, I mean, what America has done has just been an insane set of policies. I mean, we basically provoked a proxy war with Russia, Ukrainian proxy war in Russia, on Russia's own border. We've also done everything we can to alienate China. And basically, we're in the close to having a war with China over the South China Sea or Taiwan. And now there's a third regional conflict with, you know, basically our ultra-tight ally Israel committing a gigantic massacre in Gaza. So, you know, I mean, one reason I think, for example, Maduro is considering that sort of policy is we're now involved with three wars or potential wars all around the world. And so, you know, we're certainly not in a position to get heavily involved in a fourth war in Latin America right now. I mean, it's just American policy in the last you know, years has been utterly insane. And, you know, when people do insane things long enough, sometimes it leads to very bad outcomes for themselves and maybe the rest of the world. And, and you know, j just what you mentioned brings to mind this story uh, from today. Top defense official comes out saying basically U.S. can handle Middle East, Russia and China operations all at once. Um, for me, that just sounds like total hubris and insanity. <laughs> what do you make of it? Well, certainly. I mean, look, we've lost the war. We've lost the Ukraine war. I mean, what we found in the middle of the Ukraine war is we don't have the productive military capability to produce artillery shells. I mean, America basically is a paper tugger in its military productive facility. So, you know, if we can't even produce sufficient artillery shells to match to some small extent what the Russians have been able to produce. I mean, the notion of fighting a war with China and a war against possibly two billion Muslims centered on the Middle East is just utter insanity. I mean, the, the only, let's step back a little bit. If not for America's nuclear weapons, the whole situation would be very simple. I mean, we've sent two carrier task forces into the Middle East. The Russians could sink them in a matter of minutes using their hypersonic missiles. They could send our carriers to the bottom of the ocean, and there's nothing we could do about it. It would cause the collapse of the American empire worldwide. And we, for example, we've given missiles to our Ukrainian proxies and we've sunk Russian ships using Western missiles. So, I mean, it would be perfectly reasonable for the Russians to retaliate in that sort of way. The only reason the Russians don't do that and destroy America's conventional military deterrent is because they know perfectly well the American government is crazy enough that under those circumstances, we might very well use nuclear weapons. And I mean, basically starting a nuclear third world war is something that nobody rational wants to allow to happen. But I mean, if not for nuclear weapons, we would have already been destroyed by the Russians, or you know, at least our military capability, our carrier fleet would have been destroyed. And there's nothing we could do to stop that. So I mean, it's just, we're, we're really playing tremendously risky games in the Middle East and the rest of the world right now. And it, it's not at all clear what how we'll get out of this problem. I mean, with, you know, the escalating conflict there and other parts of the world. I mean, we, we haven't won any wars, you know, Vietnam, pulling out of Afghanistan, we're illegally in Northeast Syria, siphoning 80% um, of Damascus's oil, uh, just, you know, utter total um, in, insanity. We're four and a half minutes 
to midnight here. Are you know, any thoughts domestically then uh, regarding the U.S. We're headed into 2024, and I think that's going to be quite a wild uh, ride. 2024 <laughs> with economic issues, elections. There's talk of cyber attacks now. Um, and, and any thoughts uh, on the home front? Well, I mean, it's very simple. Donald Trump is, I think, 50 points ahead of all the other Republican candidates. Unless something suddenly happens to him, he's clearly going to be the Republican nominee. He's also facing, I think, 97 different felony charges right now. I mean, four separate cases that are where the prosecutors, Democratic prosecutors, are doing their best to put him in prison. I mean, there's a perfectly reasonable possibility that Donald Trump will be elected president of the United States from a jail cell or from a prison cell. And I mean, that's the most bizarre thing you can possibly imagine. And, and that's certainly not the sort of thing that will raise America's credibility around the rest of the world. I mean, to have a president elect elected from prison or, you know, at certainly standing trial at the time. I mean, it just shows the you know total collapse of any sort of rationality inside American society. And, you know, the fact that, I mean, so, I mean, we have crazy foreign policies right now in the Middle East, in Ukraine, and in the South China Sea with Russia. And we have domestic policies that are equally insane. So, I mean, for example, look at the stuff that's going on with all this nonsense about anti-Semitism. In other words, you know, right now, some of the elite president, some of the presidents of America's most elite universities are threatened with losing their jobs because they have allowed public criticism of Israel while Israel is committing one of the worst massacres in the history of the world. I mean, to say that college students can't criticize something like that is just appalling. And to, for example, force the resignation of the president of the University of Pennsylvania, I mean, an elite Ivy League school, over the fact that she was unwilling to prevent those sorts of criticisms or demonstrations is just ridiculous. So, I mean, you know, we're talking about such a combination of problems right now that it's very difficult to see how America's credibility and standing in the world can survive and you know I, I just hope the result is in world war three where you know most of the world is destroyed or even a civil war and when, when you mentioned if trump wins from prison uh, I, I was trying to visualize like what's the chess move after that like i i honestly have no idea like does he remain president does chaos ensue like i i don't know what the move is after that, I guess we're going to find out uh, a minute and a half uh, left. Uh, you know, any any final thoughts? You know, Kissinger just left the, the planet. If you, any thought on that or any final thought for us? Well, I mean, someone like Kissinger was a horrible man. I mean, a ruthless, really dishonest, corrupt leader. But it would be so nice to have him running American policy right now compared to the crazy people we have in charge. In other words, you know, at least Kissinger was more or less rational. I mean, the previous generation of American leaders, I mean, might have been in many cases, you know, vile, bad people who did all sorts of evil things, but at least they were much more rational than the ones we have right now. I mean, nobody would, nobody with an ounce of sense would be doing the things the American government has been doing over the last few years. I mean, we have been creating an enemy coalition around the world, including China, Russia, Iran, even Saudi Arabia. I mean, we're basically destroying our position in the world. It's always great to catch up with you, uh, Ron. Uh, the best website is uns.com, yeah? 
Sure, exactly. All right, well, we'll keep reading your uh, analysis uh, over at uns.com. Uh, People can check out, they can get download the free ebook you wrote on um, COVID or, or publish uh, by the, the physical edition. I got mine and the stack right behind me that you sent me. Thank you so much uh, for that. Um, Steve Malzberg is up next. So stay tuned uh, and keep on rocking in the not so free world. <laughs>